0: Welcome to Sister Speak Fringe, where we discuss season two of the Fox TV series Fringe from a sister's point of view. I'm
1: Sister Jay. And I'm Sister Kay. And welcome to episode five. Let's get started.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm going to do the um, recap for today. All right. Go ahead, Sister Jay. Okay. This is uh, Fringe episode five, and it's called Dream Logic. We uh, began the show in Boston and Olivia is at the bowling alley with Sam Weiss. And she's thanking Sam because she got all her memories back. And Sam just kind of stares at her and and asks her who died. And she, you know, finally tells Sam that um, he tells her that she needs something to help her with, you know, all she has been going through and everything. So he He writes down on a little piece of paper and tells her, you know, this is for you. Well, what it obviously says is he tells her to collect business cards from everyone that she sees who is wearing the color red. The next scene we have, we're at uh, an office building in Seattle, Washington. And a man named Greg Lighter Leitner, He's getting off the elevator at his business and he's rushing through the office because his coworker has told him his boss, Carl, is looking for him and is kind of mad. But as Greg is getting a little more agitated and a little more agitated as he walks through the office because he's uh, looking at his coworkers and he hallucinates that they are various demons. Um. And some of them were some really nasty demons too. And he enters the conference room where his boss is and his boss is, you know, Carl is just getting ready to argue with him. So where have you been and everything? And Greg envisions him as a, um, leader of all the monsters. And he says horned demon with these pointy teeth. So Greg takes his briefcase and he beats Carl to a pulp right there in the, um, conference room. Finally, some of his co-workers grab him and, you know, hold him back. And Greg's eyes are darting from left to right, back and forth, back and forth really rapidly. It's really freaky. Next, we're in the lab in Boston with uh, Walter and Peter. Uh, excuse me. Next, we're at their new home. Walter and Peter are moving into their new house. And Walter is making his bed, which is located in the living room. And Peter's asking him, well, wait a minute. Why are you making your bed down here? Because you got a bedroom upstairs. And Walter's telling Peter, well, but he wants to be close to the fireplace. So he's warm and he's exactly third to his bed is exactly 13 steps from the kitchen in case he gets hungry in the middle of the night. And 13 is a prime number and a sign of good fortune. So he's telling Peter this. Then Astrid enters their home. It's really cute. And she has a present for um Walter and and he's very excited because he loves presents, and it's Italian ciabatta bread. So she gives Peter this file, which is about the incident in Seattle, Washington, and tells um, Peter that, you know, the strange thing about it was the rapid eye movement that's being described, uh, you know, to the authorities. So Peter tells Walter, okay, let's pack a bag. Next, we're in Seattle, Washington with Olivia, Walter, and Peter, and they're getting out of a taxi cab at the Washington Memorial Hospital, uh, where this uh, Greg Leitner is an inpatient, and Olivia notices that the cab driver is wearing a red shirt, so she asks the cab driver if he has a business card in case they need a ride while they're in town, so the cab driver gives her his business card. Uh, Walter is... As soon as they get out of the cab, Walter is looking very nervous and very uncomfortable. Once we're inside the hospital, a local uh, police officer or FBI agent probably is telling Olivia and uh, Peter that Greg has been non-responsive for over 16 hours and no one has been able to wake him up except for maybe five minutes ago before they arrived. And um, they all look at Greg in this Security hospital room, and, and it's the kind of hospital room where there are, uh, there's wire through the glass. So that way, if they do break the glass windows, you know, there's still wire that keeps them in. Like they have a state hospitals or something, but this is not a state hospital. And Greg is tied down to the bed with straps on his arms and his legs. Walter is looking very, very unnerv- uh, nervous and uncomfortable. And he's telling Peter that he does not want to go into the room. And so Peter says, "Okay, you know, you can just wait outside." So they go inside and Olivia's t- uh, questioning Greg and Greg does not remember anything beyond he said he 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 parked in the garage after lunch and he can't remember anything else. He no he remembers getting in the car that morning, but he can't remember anything else. And as they talk to Greg about uh you know, what happened. And if he remembers what happened, he does remember being in Carl's office, but he doesn't remember why he was in Carl's office. And he becomes more agitated and more agitated because he realizes he's strapped down to the bed. And he's telling Olivia that, you know, he wants to tell her something, but she probably won't believe him. But he tells her anyway, that all the people were demons. They looked like demons. And Carl, his boss was the leader of the demons. And all of a sudden Greg starts breathing really erratically. He's jerking his body, his hair, uh, and he has brown hair. His hair turns white and he stops breathing. He's dead. So at the hospital morgue, down in the morgue of the hospital, Walter is examining Greg's body. Now Walter is getting more agitated and more agitated, uh, because he's, he's just feeling uncomfortable in the body. When, uh, the coroner, uh, excuse me, the medical examiner enters the room and he's about to tell Walter what the guy's uh, blood work said. But Walter tells the doctor that the results are really curious, aren't they? they are high levels of adrenal hormones. And the doctor wants to know, well, how did you know that from Walter? And, you know, Walter also tells the doctor that he knows that the man died of extreme exhaustion, which is kind of curious. So Walter tells Peter... That he needs to go home and he needs to take Greg's body back to his lab in Boston. And Peter's trying to tell Walter, well, but you know, they have everything that you need right here. But Walter is insistent and says, no, I have to get out of here. This is reminding me of St. Clair's, you know, the mental hospital that I used to live in. So Peter understands and he says, okay, okay, I'll, you know, we'll send you back. I'll find somebody to take you back to Boston. So, Olivia, next scene is Olivia and Peter are standing outside the hospital and they're they're seeing Walter off to the airport. And there is an FBI agent, Agent uh, Cashner, who is going to be accompanying Walter back to uh, Boston. And Walter is overseeing uh, medics put Greg's body into a van. And Walter is really, really irritated because they're loading Greg's body into the van feet first. So he tells him... No, you have to take him out. So Walter makes them take him out and load him into the van headfirst. So Olivia is talking to the doctor and the doctor is wearing a red. uh, This is the medical examiner that Walter was talking to before. And the medical examiner is uh, wearing a red tie. So Olivia asks him for a copy of his um, business card. And we see that when he hands her the business card, the name is very prominent. And the doctor's name is Dr. Shane Wilson, medical examiner. That's what's printed on it. So they send Walter off with the FBI agent Cashner, and they go off. The next scene we have is Olivia and Peter are at Greg's home talking to his widow. And she tells them about Greg's uh, sleeping problems and he was... uh, a sleepwalker. And sometimes he would kick on and cook an entire meal while he was sleepwalking and then, you know, go back to bed and that he hadn't been sleeping. Uh, so he, he went to a doctor and he was cured and he had been sleeping, you know, fine, like previously. So Peter asked, does he keep a sleep journal? And she says, well, yes, of course. So she gives him the sleep journal. Now we're back in the lab in Boston, and Walter greets Astrid as she enters the lab, and we know by uh, Astrid's comments that it's almost midnight there in Boston when Walter gets back with the body. He introduces her to Agent Kashner, and he asks her to help him get the body out of the body bag. So as they're doing this and Astrid is complaining about it being, you know, so late at night and everything, Walter discovers that there's an incision with nine stitches at the base of Greg's uh, skull, right? at The nape of the neck. And so Walter says, Asterix, my small bone saw, please, it is so hilarious. And she says, uh, Astrid, she corrects him on her name, and but but she goes and fetches the bone saw so he can, you know, examine him. Next, we're at, uh, we see Peter arriving at Olivia's um, hotel room, and he brings her over Greg's sleep journal, and they're talking about the nightmares that Greg wrote about in his sleep journal. And of course, the nightmares were about demons. So Peter confides in Olivia that when he was a child, he used to get terrible nightmares every single night. He said it was one of the rare times in his whole childhood when uh, Walter was helpful to him. And Walter taught Peter how to condition himself every night by saying this mantra in his head, please don't dream, please don't dream tonight. And Peter said that you can't stop yourself from dreaming, but you can stop yourself from remembering. So Peter tells Olivia that from the age of eight to almost 19 years old, he doesn't remember a single one of his dreams. Hmm, that's significant, I think. Well, they also get a call about another incident. And we see when they get to the... A uh, 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 thing. There's a, a a woman who was driving over 40 miles an hour. She hits a motorcyclist. She never slowed down or anything. The but the woman, they're putting her on a gurney, uh, uh, um, in a body bag, and she has all white hair. And of course, she's dead, but not from the wreck. And the woman's husband is at the scene, and he's telling uh, Olivia and Peter that the wife, his wife, had just called him to say that she was on her way home from the office and that they were on the phone when his wife said that she saw a monster. So she saw a monster too. Now we're back at the lab, and we see Walter and Astrid dissecting Greg's brain. And Agent Kashner, he's he's holding something, a light or an instrument or something, and he looks like he's about ready to pass out, but he is helping them. And Walter discovers a tiny microchip implanted in the thalamus or that part of the brain that that regulates your sleep. And Walter has Astrid call Peter on the phone and tell him to look at the newest victim, the woman in the car wreck, to see if she had the same kind of incision. And lo and behold, when Peter looks, the woman has the same nine inch incision on the back of her head. So, you know, that's kind of significant. Next scene, we're at Massive Dynamics. And Broyles is talking to Nina, uh, Nina Sharp, about this microchip found in Greg's brain. And Nina says that it's a biochip with a transmitter that makes it wireless. So it can be accessed by any uh, remote computer. And she says it monitors the sleep cycle, but it also stimulates the thalamus. A man in Seattle, she knows that a man in Seattle has been uh, working on such a device and she says the man is a genius and they have been tracking him for years. Hmm. And the man they're talking about is Dr. Laxmesh Nayak. Next scene we have, Olivia and Peter visit Dr. Nayak at his home. He admits that the chips were implanted in 82 of his patients as part of a clinical study. in in helping these people, you know, get over their night terrors and, 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 and and all of that. And he says that, um, he can go to his research lab and, you know, give her all the information that they need. The next scene, we're at at the research lab and it's totally trashed. The Venetian blinds are all beat up. The, uh, somebody has uh, taken the main, uh, the mainframe server, taken all of those files out. It's totally trashed. And so, Nyack doesn't know what the problem is. And while he's talking to Peter and Olivia about, you know, who would want to do this and this, not the other, his research assistant, Zach comes in and he tells Zach that, you know, he needs to call all the nurses and help the nurses compile a list of all of his patients. Nyack gives Olivia the password to a remote server that has the backup for all of his research and, and his patient list and everything else, all those files. And um, Olivia notices that in Dr. Nyack's uh, clothing that he's wearing that day, he's got on dark pants and a, and a dark jet matching jacket. Not sure if it's denim or not, but the jacket has a red logo on it. So she asks Dr. Nyack if he has a business card, you know, so she can uh, send him a copy of whatever report they make on it. So he goes and gets her a business card. Next, we're back in um, in the lab with Walter. And Walter is talking to Peter on the phone because, you know, Peter and Olivia are still in Seattle while Walter's in Boston. And he's telling Peter that the biochip was probably used for some kind of mind control. And so Peter, while Peter is talking to Walter, Peter is comes out of this business and he's walking down the street and he grabs... He grabs an apple from an outside display of an apple and just bites into it and starts eating it. Never get paid for it, never nothing. And he's walking, and he keeps walking down the street. So Peter is asking Walter if he can test the chip uh, if Peter was able to fax the schematic of the architecture of the chip because, you know, they got another one from the woman. And Walter says, yeah, he thinks he can probably do that. So, but he... He needed a, a live subject to do it. And so Peter makes Walter promise that he will not use any volunteer students. And Peter uh, makes him promise, and Walter promises, okay, no students. And then he looks over at Agent Kashner. So we get a little feeling that, hmm, he's probably going to trick the agent. Olivia and Peter are in their hotel room talking about the patient list from uh, Dr. Nyack. And Olivia sees a picture of her and Charlie and she gets real misty eyed and she's telling Peter this story about her very first encounter or when she very first met uh, Charlie she was a rookie she hadn't used a gun she was uh, getting ready to be in a shootout with some Irish mobsters and she was kind of afraid and and said Charlie walked over to her and he was kind of gruff but he was very you know supportive and concerned for her and he told her you're going to be fine. And that just kind of helped calm her down and everything. But while she's telling Peter this story, she's getting more upset and more upset. So she finally gets up and 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 says, "I've got to go to the clinic and, you know, check on check on things." So she leaves the hotel room. So Peter's just sitting there looking like, "Oh, the poor thing," you know, but he can't do anything to help her. The next scene we see a person we know that it's, it, it's going to turn out to be the Dr. Nayak, but we don't know it then. But we see a person sitting in a chair with a, a cap on his head with all these wires coming out. And he's sitting in front of uh, several TV screens. And on the screen, we see a message that says, accessing biochip. And on another large screen, we see what looks like a photo database of people, like the DMV would use or something. Well, it's probably his photo database of his patients. And they're flashing through it, and we see Zach, his assistant, saying something to the effect of, "Are you sure you want this t- cranked up all the way?" And you know he's he's given the go ahead, and the <clears throat> excuse me, and the the screen stops on a woman who is a waitress. The next scene, and they kind of go back and forth. She's we really see a line cook. Yeah, she's a line cook. And we see this woman in the restaurant and she's kind of laughing and talking with the owner and with the cook. And once the biochip is activated, you can kind of, she kind of, you know, cocks her head like really quickly, like, and she starts hallucinating that the cook is serving up body parts on a platter and she's getting more upset and more afraid. So she gets a large, a giant, large butcher knife and she attacks the cook. Ooh, it's really, really bad. The next we have Walter's in his lab and he's mixing something in a beaker. And Agent Kashner enters the lab and tells Walter that, you know, he's he's on his way back to the airport to go back to Seattle. And, it, you know, it was nice knowing him and it's not the other. And Walter says, oh, that's great. And Kashner says, please tell Astrid or Agent Farnsworth, I said, you know, goodbye. And Walter says, oh, you know, I think it's... This French roast coffee that I had this morning, my my little olfactory uh, nerves are just not working. Can you smell this for me, please? I knew he was going to do something. And so Agent Cashner kind of looks at him and says, okay. So Walter holds the beaker up to Agent Cashner's nose. And he says, Agent Cashner says, hmm, raspberry. And Walter just looks at him like, and then Agent Cashner falls to the floor unconscious. And Walter's just whistling and working away. So it was really kind of funny. Next we see Dr. Nyack. He's in surgery, removing the microchips because Dr. Nyack has, uh, with Olivia and them's help, has compiled a list of his patients. Uh, There's only about 20 something people on the list though out of the 82. And uh, they've all come in for the surgery to have the microchip removed from them. So that's what he's doing. And after he finishes that particular surgery, he, he tells the nurse to leave the patient under for about 10 more minutes and then, you know, start his next patient. But he, he takes off his scrubs and everything and he goes out into the hallway and he's talking to Olivia. And Olivia, in the meantime, while Dr. Uh, um, Dr. Um, Nyack is doing this, Olivia gets a call from Sam Wise. Who tells her, and he's just checking in to see how she's doing. So he tells her to take out all the business cards that she has collected so far. So she sits down and lays them all out, kind of like you do a card game. Just, you know, in a row. And he tells her, uh, she tells him that he. Uh, she has eight cards. And he says, hmm, that's all you've collected. He, so he tells her to lay them all out, to circle one letter from the first and last name on each of the cards. Then after that, she is to take all those letters that she circled and write them on a separate piece of paper. And it's an anagram. And she says, well, but what am I supposed to do with this? And he says, well, you're supposed to work it out. It's just like a puzzle. And those letters will will tell you what you need. It, It will tell you what phrase you need to hear. So when Olivia asks, well, you know, Why? You know, what am I supposed to be looking for? He says, well, you're supposed to, whatever it is you need to hear. And so she, you know, hangs up and everything. Then Olivia gets a call from Broyles who tells her that the patient files at the remote location was hacked into, it looks like 24 hours before they got there and everything's been wiped away. So Dr. Nyack comes out from surgery and he's standing there in the hallway talking to Olivia and he's saying that evidently she has told him about the remote location being hacked. And he's telling her none of his uh, employees would have wiped away the patient files. They were all very loyal. All of them had the password. And as Olivia is talking to um, uh, Dr. Nayak, we see an observer in the background, walking down the stairs, watching Olivia. It is just awesome. And I have to give credit to one of our listeners because I hadn't caught that yet, but we'll talk about that later. But an observer is watching Olivia talk to Dr. Nyack and the observer, as he goes all the way down the stairs, he doesn't stop or linger or anything, but he's watching her the whole time. It's awesome. Anyway, so Olivia and Peter get the call. While Olivia's talking to the doctor, Olivia and Peter get the call about the woman, uh, the the line cook at the restaurant who, who has stabbed up the cook. Next, we see Olivia, Peter, and Dr. Nyack. He went with them at the restaurant. And they're talking to the owner who says that the woman's name was Leanne and that she was very upset. She said that they were all cannibals and she attacked the cook with the knife. And he had to wrestle that knife away from her. And when he did that, uh, her all of a sudden her hair turned white and she collapsed dead. And he was just, he's very, very distraught. So Dr. Nyack is telling Olivia that Leanne suffered from night terrors and she was one of his patients and he just saw her at the clinic the previous week. So Nyack says that, uh, he also says that his assistant Zach uh, skipped work that day or to, uh, you know, that day. And he hasn't answered his cell phone or his house phone or anything. So Olivia and Peter go to Zach's apartment. And of course, after looking all in the apartment, they find poor little Zach dead in a portable closet that's in his apartment. Meanwhile, Nyack is back in his uh, research office and he finds a note that was stuck on the outside of his door as he was going to his office and the note says, stop talking to the feds or wind up like Zach. Whew, that's creepy. The next scene we have, Walter and Astrid are at the lab in Boston. And Agent Kashner is laid out on a on the on a gurney with his head, this net with wires coming out of it on his head. And Astrid's you know, questioning Walter, what did you do to Agent Kashner? And Walter's telling her that he drugged Agent Kashner and filled uh, uh, fitted him with an EEG net with the microchip on it. And then he wired a neural stimulator to the same frequency as the microchip so he can give Agent Kashner commands and, and demonstrate this mind control. So when Walter puts the head unit, the neural stimulator, on his own head with Astrid's help, and he's trying to give, uh, uh, make Agent Kashner wiggle his feet. All of a sudden, Walter starts getting these euphoric sensations. Just like he says, it was just like when he was high on LSD or mescaline in the 1970s. And he is just, you know, kind of got this grin on his face like he is really feeling good. The next scene we have, Dr. Nayak and Olivia are discussing the threatening note that he's obviously told the FBI about. And Olivia tells Nyack that they have a protective detail around his lab and around his house. And so, you know, not to worry because they're going to catch whoever's doing this. When Peter and Olivia leave, then Dr. Nyack dials a number and he says on the phone, I showed them the note, so you might as well stop. And we don't know who that is, but he's leaving a voicemail because you can hear that it's a voicemail. Next, we have Peter and Olivia. They're talking to Walter on the phone again, Uh, but this time they're driving in the car. And Walter is explaining that the microchip functions to steal people's dreams before they even reach the person's consciousness. The chip is, uh, uh, it like siphons off their dreams, which meant that the brain could never recharge. That's why the people were dying of extreme exhaustion. Walter also says that the chip had the ability to turn on a dreamlike state, even while the person was awake. So Walter said the person doing this would be addicted to the rush. And he says, when Peter says, well, what do you mean? What does it feel like? What do you mean a rush? And Walter says, think of your most pleasant dream and magnify that tenfold. That's what it felt like. So Olivia and uh uh Peter go back to the hotel and Olivia's telling Peter, Oh, I think I understand. Since Walter believes that they're looking for an addict, she says the person would be like a Jekyll and Hyde type person. And she says her stepfather was an addict, he was a drunk, and he had two personalities, one when he was sober and one when he was smashed. So Olivia thinks and she compares the handwriting of the threatening note that Dr. Nyack did with the handwriting of the patient list that Dr. Nyack wrote out. And they discovered that the handwriting is basically the same. So they realize it's Dr. Nyack doing all this stuff. So they rushed to Dr. Nyack's home. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, Dr. Nyack has already gotten home and he said goodnight to the FBI agent that's outside his house. And he goes inside and he listens to his voice messages. And He listens to that same message that he just left himself earlier that day. So we know it's him. And um, Dr. Nyack goes down into the basement. He fits his little EEG net cap on himself and accesses that biochip. And he's flipping through his patient files and he stops on this airline pilot who is the pilot of a seaplane. And he starts uh, cranking up all the dials and everything. And we see the pilot. Then we flash and we see the pilot is in the plane getting ready to take off from from water. It's probably from the lake over there. Dr. Nyack activates the chip. And all of a sudden, the, the seaplane pilot hallucinates that his co-worker has no face. He's just a solid mass of smooth skin. It is really nasty. And that's what he's thinking. So he's getting more panicked and more panicked. Meanwhile... Olivia and Peter and the other agents arrive at uh, Nyack's house. They finally make it down to the basement because they figure out that's where he is. And Peter's trying to shut off this this mainframe to all the computers and he can't figure out how to shut it off or how to shut it down. So uh, Olivia takes out her gun and she shoots that mainframe, breaking the connection right before the pilot, seaplane pilot, is about to crash into a bridge. And uh, so... When she breaks that mainframe, it does something to the connection with Doctor Nyack, and he dies. He's dead, and um, so as they're uh, as they're leaving the house, Peter and Olivia are talking about the fact that maybe, uh, or Peter is maybe Doctor Nyack didn't even realize that he his you know his darker side was taken over. Uh, that's t- uh, at those times when he was doing all this awful stuff. Now the next scene, we're back in Boston. And Olivia is sitting in her car at the cemetery. She gets out and she puts flowers on Charlie Francis's grave. And, you know, she's really sad and thinking about Charlie. Then Olivia goes back into her car and she's sitting there still kind of misty. And she's just thinking, and she looks down and sees the little notepad that she wrote the anagram on. So she starts, you know, playing with that. And after several tries, Olivia spells the phrase with the letters, you're going to be fine and she breaks down crying. That's really really sad. Now the very final scene, we see a young boy laying on his back in his bed. He's asleep. We hear a door creaking open. The boy opens his eyes and says, "Dad, what's wrong?" And we see an image of what looks to be Walter um f- from a mirror on top of a chest of drawers. And he obviously is looking younger. Then the boy screams as something yanks him from the bed. And as the boy screams and, and gets yanked from the bed, then we see the grown-up Peter wake up from a dream. And he was definitely dreaming. And he Peter looks around like, you know, where am I, where am I? Walter is sitting in a chair next to the bed watching Peter. And Walter says... That Peter was talking in his sleep. And Peter says, Well, I think I was having a bad dream. I was a kid in my room and you were there. Walter looks very worried and nervous. And Walter asks Peter if he can remember the rest of it. And Peter says, Uh, mm mm, meaning no. And Walter looks worried and guilty. And that's the end of that. Woo-hoo! That was a long recap, but man, it had a lot of good stuff in it. It did. Woo! What'd you think? I love this
1: episode. I really liked it because it gave us a lot of new information. Yeah. And it was was just really good. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what do you want to start with first?
0: Well, we can start at the beginning or jump around or whatever. Okay, let me start with the nastiness. Okay, the nastiness. Let's get that out of the way. There was a lot of
1: nastiness in this episode. There really
0: was. The guy that was seeing the demons, that uh-huh. freaked me out. That was really freaky because didn't you notice how a couple of those demons, they looked just like that that first shapeshifter when he bent his face all up? Yeah. That's what it looked like to me. And mm. their teeth were all
1: misshapen. But what really freaked me out about that first scene was when they finally got the guy and his eyes
0: were... Wow! wow. That, ugh, that was freaky. That freaked me this out. Guy, his, his eyes, his eyes were, were moving off. like left and right. Like I think
1: it was supposed to be like REM sleep. Maybe but, it was. I don't but know. But his eyes were open. That freaked oh, me out. Oh, it was freaky. And then the girl, the cook, seeing those hands getting cooked on the grill. Oh, that was so nasty. And the pilot looking at that guy, and there was no face. No. That. That That, was the ultimate. That was
0: the ultimate for me. It's when the the seaplane pilot looked over. what the hell kind of nightmares these people be having? And his co-pilot had no face, just smooth skin. Oh, that was so freaky. That That was was so freaky. Oh, that was nasty. If I had nightmares like that, I would be crazy. Well, a lot of them had problems, though. They had, uh, but see, those were night terrors. Because if you notice, Dr. Nyack had said that, that Leanne, she was the line cook. She suffered from night terrors. And now the first man, that Greg Lightner, yeah. his wife said he suffered from extreme sleepwalking. But his sleepwalking was extreme because she said he would sleepwalk and cook a whole meal. That's just crazy. And and never know. So that meant you had to you know, get the food, prepare the food, cook the food. And you're, and you're asleep the whole time? Yeah. That's some crazy stuff. You know, but anyway...
1: Oh. And then um, Walter doing that autopsy. Now, I know that's part of the show. He's always going to have to examine a body. Mm-hmm. and But I just, all that nasty. Oh, it, was, just, it
0: was particularly nasty this time. And I think the reason why I thought it was really nasty is because of Agent Cashner. He was so like, oh, this is what they do? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Astrid. We finally get to see her out of the lab. Yeah, she actually got to go to their house. <laughs> she showed up at the house, and when she knocked on the door, I was like, oh, Astrid. I know, so she got to leave the lab. But you know what? I love that scene, and i tell you why. And that is because, yeah, in the lab, she's his sidekick and stuff. But uh, it's like I said last week. She is, or Peter and Walter, I think, consider her a member of the family. Yeah. She is just like a little sister to Peter or something. Yeah. You know, and they genuinely like it when she she comes because did you see Peter's face light up yeah. when they, he opened well, the doors Walter's
1: did too? Yeah.
0: I mean, so I'm liking their relationship though. I do too. And then also when when uh Walter uh Astrid was the first person she uh uh Walter called when he got back from Seattle because she's complaining. You know, it's almost midnight, and and, and he said, help me with this body bag, you know, and then again, when he drugged Agent Cashner, he was alone in the lab, so he must have called her to come and help, because when she comes in, she's removing her coat, and she says, what did you do to Agent Cashner? Did you drug him? And he says, yes, I drugged him, and she's Mm -hmm. looking all worried, like, you know, because she is an agent, you know. But well, I'm liking the, their relationship. One thing, too, is he
1: mistakenly called her Asterix again. Oh, yeah, that was so funny! In this episode. And I don't know what the significance of that is, but it's it's meaning something that he keeps mispronouncing yeah, her name. Yeah, And she keeps, you know, she's patient, like, Astrid. You know, my name's Astrid.
0: Yeah, she said Astrid, but she's going to get that bone saw that he asked her mm. for. But when he says Asterix, oh, that is hilarious, though. It, 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 it It's cute. really funny, yeah. Well,
1: I really liked, um... Walter, I mean, when they when they step off the plane in Seattle, mm-hmm. or out of the taxi, and he's yes. looking around, oh. immediately his face has changed, oh, and he yeah. looks totally different than he normally does when he goes to a crime scene.
0: He's nervous. Looking scared. Yeah. Worried. Scared. And yeah. I was like, oh,
1: hell, what's about to kick off? <laughs> I know it. And then... And when he was telling Peter, I don't want to go in there, I just want to stay out here, that was kind of... But...
0: I think it was because it was one of those secure rooms. It was the kind of room where they had that, all that wire running through the glass. Well, he, well, the guy was tied up. And he was tied down. Yeah, I think he felt
1: like, this is back in the mental hospital. Exactly. I'm going to be tied up. Exactly. So, that, so, yeah.
0: That was very John good. John Noble was just so good in this episode, I thought. Oh, yeah.
1: that
0: episode. Bro. Now, this is this is, this is is the only thing. or well, Not the only thing, but th- this is one thing I noticed about the scene... With Broyles and Nina, it seemed awfully cold to me for them to have shared a kiss in the first episode. Yep. It seemed awfully cold and cut and dried to me. Now I realized he was at her place of business, but still, it just seemed awfully cold to me. He was there to get the facts. Yeah, he, he just wanted the facts. And okay, but I mean, they didn't have him. any like long glances.
1: Nothing. No, like smile. She
0: didn't smile
1: at him or nothing. He didn't smile at her. Well, I will say this there's not enough Broils and Nina for me.
0: That's true. Episode, mm-hmm. Which I know they
1: can't do them every episode. There's too many characters, mm-hmm. you know, core characters for them to hit in any length of time mm-hmm. each
0: episode, but we need more of them. Well, I tell you what I did like about the whole premise of this episode I really like the fact that they, they imparted the same amount of information that they always do, but it was in conversations on the telephone because that is what would happen. Walter wouldn't go each and every time with them. Right. But he seems to always go with them. So I really like the fact that Walter was in Boston and they were in Seattle and then they would call each other back and forth. And he was always telling Astrid, oh, call Peter and say and, and tell him and such a, yeah. See, so to me that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense.
1: Now, back to the the scene with Broyles and Nina. Uh-huh. When she, when he's he's got the little brain chip, microchip with the whatever that thing was, filigree filament, whatever they called it, <laughs> the little wire.
0: It's a biochip.
1: Well, whatever with the little wire on it in mm-hmm. that little jar. Mm-hmm. And they were talking and then the camera shifts and it looks like someone is looking at them from afar. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, the microchip is still on. Somebody's recording them. But, but it was something from further away than the table. So it was kind of like, it yeah. reminded me of, and I know this is off topic, but it reminded me of the fifth element. <laughs> and I just so happened to remember this because I watched it again the other day it came on. Uh, when they sent that fake roach to eavesdrop yes. on the president while he's trying to, Figure right. out how they're going to get to the stones mm-hmm. and how they're going to get Bruce Willis to flop some paradise, whatever it's called. Uh-huh. And that little roach is kind of got a camera in it and it's got the audio. It made me think like they had someone had a hidden camera in Nina's office that was kind of listening because the way the camera angle moved, mm-hmm. it was it was a hazy view like it was from the ground, or like it was covered in something, and then it was like far away from where they were talking. It but, was just weird. But that could have just been her
0: own internal uh, well, Why go to that? Why go to something? that shot? Well, I don't know. I didn't think that it was someone from outside, because if you notice, one thing I found very interesting is when Nina Sharp said, oh yeah, we know about Dr. Nyack. We've been tracking him for years. So they already knew about this, this whole clinical study and everything.
1: Right. But what I'm saying is that one scene when that camera angle changes, it made me initially I thought that the microchip, the brain chip or whatever it was, Uh was still on and someone was
0: recording their conversation. Now that could be because Dr. Nyack seemed to be one step ahead of them all the time. Mm -hmm. So it could be, but I took it like, especially the microchips taken from the people who had died. I took it like the microchip. Had died also, or you know, lost its juice or whatever, was no longer activated. I don't think it would die like that. Well, it it might because, as Nina pointed out, it is a biochip. It's not like just a regular microchip for a computer. It's a biochip. Well, so it it has to live in the body. That's the thought that I had. Okay.
1: If y'all, if y'all go back and watch it, Mm -hmm. look for that scene. It's right with. I mean, it's only this only scene with Broyles and Nina in it, Mm -hmm. and um.
0: It just is weird the way they flip that that camera angle. I thought it was very interesting. Because see, I like continuity like this. I love the fact that when Olivia was telling Peter the story about her very first encounter with Charlie Francis and how they even met. And what he said to her was the exact phrase in her anagram. I I, I love that. I love that. And that is what she needed to hear. Now, at that particular time.
1: I think we also got, it was like all of a sudden, we're getting all this information about Olivia. Like in one episode. Uh-huh. We got um, three different thing, pieces of information that we've never heard before. At least I hadn't, I don't remember us here okay. before. Like what? Well, when Peter and her were in the hotel room and they had their little college shirts on. Well, his was fakish, but Yes, his si- was she fake. She had her Northwestern, I think it was Northwestern shirt on. And she talks about, I actually did go there. And graduate. And graduated. Then she talks about
0: um, a stepfather, her stepfather being a drunk, being drunk, so he's probably abusive. She talks about, um, during
1: that scene where she's talking about when she first met Charlie, she talks about she originally was a military litigator,
0: yes,
1: stuff that we've never that heard was... before. So it's like to me, it, it just felt like it was they were just cramming all this information into one episode, real quick. It's like they're just throwing stuff in there to give it, keep us interested in her, which I'm
0: already interested in. Right. That. I like Olivia. But it was just like thrown in there. But I love that information because when she was telling that story about Charlie, I thought, wow, isn't that something to be a military litigator, like a JAG officer. And then, uh, but she wanted to be out in the field and she was relating the story when, you know, her very first field assignment and where she had to, yeah. have a gun, and she hadn't pointed a gun in years, or fired a gun in years, so well, that, scene was, that like, was, good. was good
1: because of the way she got emotional, and I like mm-hmm. the fact that they brought Charlie up and yes. didn't just try to, because that you know, Smooth we had it under almost the rug. half the episode, not even half, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, when are we going to bring up Charlie?
0: Mm-hmm. When are they going to mention what happened to Charlie? And well, I was so glad that they did that. Well, but now that you you've seen the entire episode, you know that That first scene they brought up, Charlie, when Sam Wise asked her who died. Well, yes, but, I mean, she didn't,
1: you know, we didn't see her having this conversation about how she feels about Charlie. And then the last scene when she, or not the last scene, but when she's in the cemetery and actually grieving for him. Mm -hmm. I like that because a lot of shows, somebody dies and they just go on.
0: They go on getting the bad guys and stuff. Yeah, They
1: don't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about it.
0: So Mm -hmm. I really like that part. Okay, so now we get to the coup de grace of the whole show to me. Walter and Peter. Lord have mercy. I learned some good information from Peter all his conversations. This is so good. I love it. So now we know that from the age of 8 to 19... Peter has not had one dream that he can remember. So that means Walter snatched in when he was eight.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now we know. You
1: were right about Walter. That, see, was I was right.
0: Kid. He was a young kid. His son had died or he was, he was already dead or he was dying and Walter couldn't save him. So he went to the alternate reality and snatched up Peter. Uh huh. Joe yeah. sure did. And then he, he's told him whatever he's told him Now Peter said, well, I had to uh, uh, do a mantra. He told me how to right, help. But we don't know. Maybe Walter gave him some drugs or something. We don't know. But he can't remember no dreams. Well, that was freaky when Peter, at the very end, mm-hmm.
1: and we were like, who's that kid? What did the hell I he know. <laughs> we're like, what the hell? How they get
0: to some kid in the middle of the show? But I could tell it was Walter in that mirror reflection. You could tell it was Walter. But then when Peter woke up and Walter's sitting there looking at him, I was like, I, okay, oh, no, that yeah. was some
1: freaky shit. That's Excuse good. me, that was some freaky <laughs> stuff. I was like, I'd be
0: like, what the heck are you doing looking at me mm-hmm. while I'm sleeping? Well, but 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 if you notice though. Well, uh, uh, Peter had fallen asleep on the couch. He wasn't like in his bedroom or nothing. Well, true. He had yeah. fallen asleep on the couch. So Walter was just sitting in a chair in the living room, but it was close to the couch. See, but he was just staring directly at Peter. And he said, you were talking in your sleep. So we don't know what Peter was saying.
1: Yeah, and, and
0: Walter's trying to figure out how much is he remembering. Yeah, he oh, that was so good. I loved it. Oh, I like episodes where they impart information like that, though. I really love it, and and I must say this would be a uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. something else? Okay. Yeah. This would be a good segue, but I must say that until one of our listeners sent us an email about the scene where Olivia is talking with uh, Doctor Nyack out in the hallway, and the observer is walking down the stairs in the background watching Olivia, I had not even caught that. But I did go back and look at it. Oh, man, that was awesome. That was so good. I love that. I like little details like that. So that observer knew all about those little tests and they're monitoring Olivia and everything because he's watching her. But he doesn't make a big show of it. He's he's walking all the way down the steps and he never lingers, but he's walking very slowly down the steps. And once he gets to the bottom of the steps, he's kind of disappears yeah. in the crowd.
1: I never noticed the observer ever usually. Oh yeah, I'm I really usually do. Cl- I mean, and even watching it two or three times, I, I don't usually yeah, see him. I usually unless do. Unless I know what to look for, so I'm all, I'm bad at that.
0: Yeah, but that was uh, Jamon who mentioned that. Yeah, and and just as a way of welcome, uh, hi Jumon, the dude. <laughs> I thought you were male, but no, you didn't. Yes, you kept I did. saying
1: she. Oh well,
0: excuse me if I kept saying she, but hey.
1: Well, let's go ahead with his email, even though I have a few more things to say. Okay. Let's go ahead. He says, hello again, you fringe podcasting queens. Number one, is it me, or is Olivia's character not the most interesting on the show? I really enjoy the scenes with Walter and Peter, but I kind of tune most of her scenes out. She was in a majority of them on the first season, and I am glad that they are changing directions and giving Walter and Peter their due. Do you want to stop there, or want me to keep going? Yeah, let's stop at each
0: point. Disagree. I love Olivia. I do too. I think she's very interesting. And, you know, for me, I think I've mentioned this before in our podcast because of the information that they imparted last season with the, the her taking the drug. And Walter was one of the ones, uh, the doctors leading that, uh, giving that drug to Them children and her. stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just love her character. And I like what they have done. With it. I do agree with one of our uh, uh, listeners who posted, oh, a couple mu- uh, uh, months ago about the fact that I'm glad that they they have got rid of the romantic thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh.
0: from season one. But I like Olivia. I do
1: agree with you, though, that we need to see more of the other characters. I mean... Actually, I like I I really like Olivia, but I do want to see more of Broyles, Nina. I love that's true. Love love seeing more of Astrid, Peter, and Walter. Yeah. And I just think there's just not enough time to see everybody in one hour all the time because they have to keep you know they have to maybe alternate episodes where we get more of one yeah, character or that's another. A point. That's
0: a good point. I that's just wish true.
1: we had time to see all of them and have a bunch of different mm-hmm. stories. Okay, number two. He says, "Can someone tell me why I introduce a new character?" like FBI agent Amy Jessup in the first episode if you are never going to show her again.
0: I tend to agree with that. But I think, I, I think we will see her again. But they just had other things to do. Well, and like now now we've been introduced to Agent Kashner. Are we going to see him again? No, because he's in Seattle. He okay. just got duped huh. by Walter. Okay.
1: Although I, I kind of liked his character. I liked him. Yeah. Number three, is Olivia's sister and niece still living in her apartment? We never saw her sister after episode one. Good point. See, I mentioned that too. Where are they at? But I seem to recall in season one, her sister saying that she was going to move out or something, and Olivia telling her, "No, no, no, you can you know stay as long as you want." Mm. I don't, I don't know if I'm yeah dreaming that or what. I think that's a hole that they forgot to plug. Did you know, and number four, did you notice the observer walking down the stairs and watching Olivia in the, while the, in the doctor's office? It's around 26 minutes
0: in the show. Okay. Well, I did not notice that Juman until you mentioned it, but I went back and looked at it and it's actually 36.16 seconds into the show. Cause I did plot it. 36 minutes, 16 seconds. Thir- 36 minutes, 16 seconds. Into the show. I'll have
1: to go back and see. Yeah. It, I so it, didn't but
0: see. it's awesome. That is an excellent, excellent observation because, you know, I kind of, I kind of pride myself on noticing all the little stuff in Fringe because I like to do that. But I, that completely went by me. I was so, I was so caught up with uh, Olivia and stuff. So thank you for that observation. Okay.
1: And number five, which is the best one um, of his points. Um, he says, it seems obvious to all of us that Peter was kidnapped from the other universe. And many people believe that the alternate Walter may be behind the coming storm, but what if it is his mother? You don't just steal a woman's child and expect her to let it go. All as always, keep up the good work, bringing us the best French podcast ever, Jamon, And he says, "I am a dude." Sorry for the confusion last
0: week. <laughs> you know Thanks, what? Thanks, Jamon. That was great. That's a good observation about the woman, though. Well, well, about the woman, but about. It possibly
1: being his mother mm-hmm. that is part of the storm from the other side, the it could be. universe, trying to get to him to get him back.
0: It could be. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. It 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 had not even occurred to me. So it did, I didn't think of
1: that either. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to kind of watch for some.
0: Yeah, now I'm clues gonna watch. To that. I'm gonna watch and see if there's any clues to that because that's a good observation.
1: Yes. Now, before we get onto the rest of our emails, mm-hmm. um, I did have a couple more things I wanted to okay. talk about. One was I thought a, cr- a pretty cool scene, but the way you mentioned it in your recap didn't quite happen that way. But Olivia asking for business cards, you don't know the whole way through that she's asking only people with Reg.
0: That's true. You don't know that until you get to the point when Sam calls her on the phone. Well, but he did tell her, I I hope you don't have anything against the the color color red. red, But
1: you don't know what that means. That's true. You don't.
0: I really thought it was awesome
1: because to me, it was kind of like a throwback to um, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, thing. I just forgot the name of it. Mm. You know the movie I'm talking about? I don't. With Bruce Willis and um, what is the movie where the little boy sees dead people? Oh, um, yeah, I know which it's one you It's not signs. I can't, I'm sorry, y'all. I cannot think of the name. But in that movie, at the end, you realize that all the people that have, that are real or that he's really seen are, have red on. The doorknob that he's trying to reach to get to his office in the movie is, it has a red handle. The wife's wearing a red sweater all the time. There's different clues in the movie. And it just reminded me of that in this episode because you don't realize until the very end why red hmm. is significant in the in the show mm-hmm. but when you do i'm like oh my gosh and when i went back and watched the second time i was like yeah that cab driver was wearing a red sweater yep the dot the coroner was wearing a red tie yep and the doc the sleep doctor was wearing a red pin or something on his coat it was a red logo yeah it was mm-hmm. really cool to go back and see that and i just i don't know yep. It that kind of I really love that kind of stuff when I notice it. Of course, I don't notice stuff like that until later. (laughs) But I really like that better late than never of the episode. Now, the other part I want to talk about was Peter is on the phone with Walter or Broyles or whoever he's on the phone with shopping before going to Olivia's (laughs) house. He grabs that apple and steals it basically. But my point with it is here we go with someone who we know has been in an alternate universe eating fruit. Yeah. Now, Smith Curtis, whatever we want to call him from last week's Curtis. episode, <laughs> I no, Curtis Smith, he was eating fruit throughout the whole episode. Uh huh. Peter, now, and I don't remember if he was in other episodes or last season, but I'm going to have to go back, definitely was eating fruit in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there's something that makes them crave it or they need it. And of course, Peter doesn't know why he's eating the fruit, mm-hmm. but I think Curtis Smith.
0: Does well,
1: yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, that might be a side effect from
0: traveling from it one place to the other. It could but be, but that caught but my you know attention. What? I don't know, though. I uh, because I mean, we've seen Peter eat other stuff too, you know, just oh, well, eat yeah. food in general, yeah. So. But, but I didn't even make a correlation with, with fruit. the fruit, yeah. Oh, hey, what I got from that scene was, uh, you know, he came out of that store with the sack. And he grabbed that fruit and didn't pay for it or nothing because, to me, that's probably what he would do, with his background that he said is his background. You know what yes. I mean? Because Peter's kind of rough. He's had a rough, <laughs> he's had a rough adulthood, being around rough characters and stuff. So, to me, that's what I got out of that, and not so much, you know, something with the alternate reality.
1: I think there's something significant. With it, it could be. It I could really be. I really do. I just don't know. I what have to it pay is. attention. Yeah. And I haven't heard anyone else with theories, but I need to start, you know, listening to other um, theories and going on websites and seeing if someone else has flushed it out more than I have. Mm. Okay. But, um, speaking, okay, before we get into our meaty, meaty emails, I just want to let y'all know that we, I happen to catch a really cool podcast on Fringe called Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. Oh, Yeah. And they are really great, and Wayne is actually a voiceover artist, and he does, Mm. I guess, voice acting and things like that. Mm -hmm. They have a great podcast on Fringe also, and they kind of delve into kind of the theories and and things like that on the show, so I recommend everyone going to see, uh, on iTunes, Fringe Casting, and you can look them up and download and and listen to their episodes. It's really cool. Okay. All right, so let's get into a couple of our other emails. Okay. We have uh, one, excuse me, from Miss J Squared. Hey, Miss J Squared. And she says, hey, sisters, I wanted to let you know that I just listened to an interview with Jessica Nickel, who plays Astrid. It doesn't sound like Astrid is going to leave us anytime soon. In fact, it sounds like her character may get even more interesting. Good. Also, that is not a wig. That is her own hair that the new set stylist chopped off, and she doesn't like it either. And oh. She mentioned a very interesting theory about her being the love child of Broyles and Nina. Oh, my Now, goodness. that would be interesting. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Oh, my goodness. Now, on a side note, I did... Um, we. For those of y'all who are interested and on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page now that you can go and fan. Okay. And every so often we'll post like interesting stories that we come across about our favorite shows and what Mm -hmm. we podcast about. And I actually had found that interview with um, Jessica Nickel. Cool. And had posted that on our Facebook. So, Um, that you could read in its entirety and you can get the link from our Facebook page. Oh, great. And actually, you don't have to have Facebook to get to it. You can just look it up on Google, just to speak Facebook, and it'll pop up with a link to that article. But it's a really interesting article and I I was excited to see something with her and to get some more background on what her story was. But yeah, she does mention that that is her hair. Poor thing. And that she went to the stylist, they cut off too much, and they had to mention something because it was such a change from... Season one, they had to bring it up and mention it so it wasn't too jarring. So that's why they mentioned
0: it. Well, you know what, then I take back all the stuff about take that that wig off of that child, but oh, that looks terrible. You know, you you can do something with it. I got some products I can, you know, tell you about that you can do something (laughs) with. Because, you know, that looks awful. So I need to listen to that interview so maybe she gives some contact information and I can uh, get a hold of Jessica, you know. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Maybe she's
1: just, I don't know. Anyway, Miss J Squared goes on to say, I'm with you. Maybe I watched season one too quickly. And if I go over it again, some things will start to make more sense. I think there is only one observer. It's not observers, plural. What do you think about that? I
0: think there's just, I think there's a couple. I think there's more than one.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And
0: I think in season one, we saw more than one. Uh, She goes on to say, apparently
1: we're going to find out more about him soon. Do you have any theories about Peter's mom? I'm really curious about that. Maybe it's not Otherworld Walter that is looking for him. Maybe it's his Otherworld mom, just like Javon mentioned. Yeah, see, you guys are smart. They are smart. Ooh, and you're right about the networks. They are horrible. How can you start a show and then stop it just when it's getting good? Mm-hmm. It's bad enough that they are starting at midseason. and I think she's talking about B. Yeah. I'm confused, though. Is it going to be a regular series then and not a miniseries? I look forward to hearing your new podcast sincerely miss j squared just cut on v it is going to be a series but they're going to show four episodes um starting november 3rd go on their winter break and then come back in january or february so there's going to be a break mm-hmm. in there somewhere
0: maybe they're doing that because uh, because during the time between uh thanksgiving and christmas there's a lot of holiday programming i mean a lot so may- maybe that's why they're doing it that way.
1: But you know what? I think they'd be better to just save it. I hate to say that because I'm I looking know. forward to it. I know. But that's why shows like 24 and Lost change the rules on how- And they just show- start in January. Yeah, they just yeah. start so they don't have to do all that breaking. Yeah. Breakin', you yeah. Know? Okay, that's all the feedback we got this week. Thank you so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamon, Miss J Squared, and um, Wayne from the Fringe Casting Podcast- and also, um, that was it, yep, wasn't it? That's it. Okay. Well, if y'all would like to get in on our feedback, you can send us an email at sisterspeak speak at gmail.com. Our voicemail line is 972-692-7341. And our website is sistersinreview.com And we now do have a Facebook button that but you can click and get to our Facebook page from our website. Oh, cool. Our main page of our website. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah, you know. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for now. I'm I'm Sister K and I'm Sister J. See you next week.